No, this won't end up on the show, Pennant. I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit it out. What if you can't? What if it doesn't allow you to? It doesn't allow me to. Do you even know how audio works? What if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. <laughs> you can tell I'm, I'm ready to do a show. Cougarfan.com writes a shot podcast episode 300, 300, 300. <laughs> what? what are you doing? 400. Episode 432. Get all of your BYU sports news at cougarfan.com. Matt, I just like got in the, the DeLorean and went back a couple years. That was weird. So 300 something. That was weird. Lexdicia. All right. I'm uncomfortable with what just happened. Yeah, yeah. I need so, an adult. So, Matt, there's something that will never die. And you know my love, my love for the 1996 BYU football team. That's one thing. The other thing is us discussing hot dogs and sandwiches, which are one and the same. They are not. But anyway, Taylor Jackson on Facebook, and of course you can join the conversation with us on Facebook.com/slash/RiseAndShout. Taylor says, "Is a hot dog a sandwich?" We've answered that question. No. My dad was telling me of his mission in Germany. Evidently, Germans eat sandwiches with a fork and a knife. Why? Because they only use one slice of bread. Two-slice theory is invalid in Germany. Thoughts? Um, it's a different word. It's not sandwich. Isn't it like butterbrot? Did you just make that up? I think that's the word. I'm just what? saying, like, we're crossing languages here. I, I, it's, it's too hard. You can't do the languages. What is yeah. it in Russian? Sandwich. <laughs> seriously? It's seriously? Sandwich? The plural would be sandwichy. <laughs> Are you making that up or is that uh, real? No, I'm saying it. I'm saying that's the deal. All I right. Are you, re- Are you ready I'm for Google? Are, Are you ready for my iPhone to tell you the, uh, the um, word for sandwich in German? You ready? Sandwich. <laughs> sandwich. So, yeah, so I think the point that we're learning here is a sandwich is a sandwich, right? Now, they may have, like, their version of a sandwich, like the Mexican pizza at Taco Bell. It's not really a pizza, right? <laughs> hey, they're discontinuing the Mexican pizza. It's, but if you serve if you serve tacos in, I don't know, Kazakhstan... Like, it's still a taco. You see what I'm saying? Now, they might have their version of something like that, but it's not a taco. A sandwich is a sandwich, as in the Earl of Sandwich, or the Duke of Sandwich, or whoever, whatever his name was. Yeah, we're talking about British-slash-American stuff here. We're not talking about German, or Russian, or um, Mexican, or, you know... Canadian. But the whole... Definitely not the whole thing though with this example and i'm just is as i'm t- i'm actually in this case perfectly comfortable with, with what the germans are doing it's just an open faced sandwich <laughs> of course you're comfortable with it all right let's jump into the tweet bag tweet bag of sandwich talk um adam m from kansas says this adam m from kansas yeah he's a very intelligent guy um <laughs> he says what about BYU basketball did you guys see that live basketball practice? Matt, did you tune into the live basketball practice on BYU Why are you giggling already? <laughs> who, who, who could this be in our tweet bag? 
I don't um, know. Adam M. Adam M. Like... Oh, little Adam. And little Adam has been in the tweet bag before, I believe. I, he has. Little he has. Adam, Kansas, living his little small town dreams. I, um, I believe. I believe we call him like muscular Adam, not little. But I just... short Adam. Short. He's taller than you, Jackrabbit. How? So you are you you know this tweet bagger? Yeah, I've met him once. Okay. You know, on a road trip or something. Anyway, just go ahead. I didn't you watch the basketball, basketball practice. I, I did. Something going on that night. I did watch it, and it was kind of cool. But everybody's like, "We're going to be better than last year." You guys, you can't tell that from watching a practice that everybody knew was live streaming. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just playing ourselves. Like that's not like a great barometer. Right, right. I mean, again, I'm excited about the team. I think they could be as good as last year. I believe they will be. I, I know you're on record as saying that. I don't. I just think as good as they were last year, we've had their top ten team in the history of BYU. Do you have one of those back to back after you lose uh your you know a transcendent player, right? I mean yeah, right. yeah. I, two or three best players. I I have a hard time believing that, but it can happen. It does happen, right? Um, so anyway, that's it for basketball. I, I just threw that question in there because nobody asked us about hoops. Oh, I'm glad that Adam from Kansas sent us something in the yeah. tweet back about basketball. Yeah, he's he's super sm- He's he's wicked smart. Wicked right. smart. He's wicked smart. I love that guy. All right, Chris Gregory on Twitter. That's at Balance Digital. And if you want to tweet at us, you can do that at BYU underscore Rice Shout. What a great comeback win. I assume he's talking about um, the BYU-Houston game. I love the, some of the exciting NFL action. I love the enthusiasm with which you read that statement because he used an exclamation point. I, like I could hear it come out in your voice. I love yeah, it. Of course. Of course. Both the defense and offense dug deep to overcome adversity, Chris says, and made up for injured starters. Do you think this is a sign that BYU is actually gaining more depth under Kalani? Do you think uh, this game shows that we have better depth than we've had uh, in the last few years? Yes. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair statement. I think yeah, it I think- also says a bunch of other things, but I think that's one of them. Even with starters out at on the line on both sides. You, they were still rotating personnel to get fresh legs in and certain downs. That's true. That's and true. So I, with that and the and the performance of some of these players that stepped in uh, that aren't routinely in big time playing time roles, yes, I, I think what we did see here is that uh, we we do have some depth. I don't know if we've got like Alabama type depth, but we've got some depth. I think it's safe to say we don't have Alabama like depth, but yes, I, I think Chris, it does show that. Uh, we got an email from Tim Jacobson, who asked, also wants to talk about the Houston game. And if you want to email us, you can do that at risingshoutpod at gmail.com. Matt, he addresses it to you. He doesn't care about me. Tim doesn't care about me. Um, help us understand how you felt at the stadium when we were down 26 to 14. And and then when Algiers took it 18 yards for the final blow to end it. So so walk us through those live emotions there in Houston. So a couple of things, and 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 I'm just going to use this as the as the, this question is the form to describe the whole roller coaster of emotions in the stadium for me. So uh, I attended the game with our brother Don, friend of the podcast, 
Uh, we both brought uh, not all of our children, but some of our children with us. And so when uh, they came out and scored on that opening pass, you know, it was like, this This is amazing. And I turned to my 15-year-old son, and I said, I said, I am way too jacked up for this, but I'm, I, believe, I now believe we will win this game by 21 points. And he looked at me, he's like, you need to calm down. So, um, so, you know, and then we came, we came full circle on that. And, you know, then, then the, the other big emotional moment, the next big emotional moment for me was the decision to go for it instead of kicking the field goal on fourth and one on the two. Uh. Uh, And I yelled something when that field goal was missed that caused the, my children to jump. So, um, uh, I, I, encouraged the coaching staff to consider kicking the field goal next time very loudly. So, but the point is like, I'm just going to say for just for a second on the road in a close game, take the points. So, but when we're down 26, 14, I was like, uh, Oh, you go for it. No, no. On the first half on the first, in the first half on the road in a close game, take the points, take the point for it. Oh, that is, that is a terrible take. So, you're a terrible take. Um, onside's kick, I was looking at my phone. <laughs> was not expecting that to happen. Um, but so the what I'm feeling when we're down 26-14, I was like I thought we were in real real serious trouble. Right. Um, and sometime around the end of the third quarter, uh, I I actually left our seats to go uh, some friends of mine that I knew at school were in had come in had driven from they live a couple hours east of Houston and they'd come over for the game. So I went over to talk to them and say hi. And that's when like the whole, like then things started to really get crazy. And um, so then I went back and sat with Don to watch, watch the end of the game. But the difference in feelings between being down 26, 14. And then when Algiers took it that 18 yards at the fight at the, for the, for that final blow. I mean, that's, there, there is no, uh, there's no better way to describe that. than that's just a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, yeah. But you could see it start to happen when some of the adjustments that I think we'll get into as we work through these questions, some of the adjustments they were making, especially on defense, uh, that when I questions. that when Jumping I first questions. saw, I didn't buy. So we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, crazy, crazy feelings. Yeah, um, crazy so, but feelings. and then as far as moments I had with fans or players, listen for me, and you know, and I had a, a, a Facebook memory pop up today on a brother's weekend where you and me and a couple of our brothers had gone to a, a, a game at Notre Dame. Uh, being able to sit and watch those games with members of my family, I'm there with my brother and nephews and my my a uh, couple of my sons and my daughter, like that's fun. And and those yeah, are awesome. those are fun memories and that stuff I'll remember for a long time. And I also love running into people that I haven't talked to in in years. You know, yeah. I ran into a, a kid, uh, a kid. We're like, we all have kids. So I ran into a guy that I knew in grad school who's. Um, who's a BYU guy, um, ran into those friends I was talking about before. And that's just, it's just, that's, that's a cool thing about going to some of these games. Yeah, that's very cool. And he did say, Matt, if you weren't there, he hopes you were doing, you missed it for a really good reason, like washing your hair or something. It doesn't take you long to wash your hair. I see what you did there. I see what you did there, Tim. And I love it. Nice job, Tim. All right. Next email comes from Mr. Simon Pickup. He says, Dear Rise and Shout Podcast, I watched the game on Friday around a campfire in the woods, struggling to get service and occasionally blowing on the fire. What is the weirdest place you have watched a BYU football game? Also, would you be happy with the two-loss season? 
And is Mason Wake ever going to stop trying to hurdle people? Great questions. Matt, where's the weirdest place you've ever watched a football game? Uh, BYU football I, game. I went through that. Like, I've watched BYU football games in all sorts of places. But I don't know about weird. Like, I've watched football games on planes. Yeah, I've watched them in planes and airports. I don't know how weird that is. I've watched a BYU game on my phone while at another sporting event. Um, uh, you know, it used to be we'd watch them in the Relief Society room. Yes. At the, at the church building. Right. That's uh, what that we seems did weird. all growing up. And now and it, it seems weird, but at the time, it was the Super option. normal. Yeah, yeah. The people were doing it all over the country, right? Right. And we uh, weren't the only people sitting there watching the game. No, no. There was usually like a group there uh, doing it. So um, I'm trying to think the weirdest. I listened to the Miami game, 1991, on the car ride home from a steak dance that my dad wouldn't let us miss. Ooh. Do you know that? Yeah, I remember this now. I wouldn't have come up with that, but I remember this now. No, and you were too young, right? So you weren't, you weren't, uh, and I did not want to go, though I, I did enjoy a good steak dance as a teenager, but I wanted to stay home and watch the game and uh, was told that that wasn't an option, and we ended up Somebody hooked the game up in the church, and there were a bunch of us just watching the game in the Relief Society room in the middle of the steak dance and then heard the end of it on the radio. You know, some so, people might find this weird. I've watched BYU games in bars. Yeah. I don't yeah. like I don't find that weird just because if you're on the road, like that might be your option. Actually, well, back well, in the days of the MTN, I had to do that close to home at least once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did it a couple times. I was in grad school at the time. So, all right. Uh, would I be happy with a two-loss season? Sure. I, I'm not as happy as I'll be if we go undefeated or have a one-loss season. <laughs> but I think if – will you be happy if they lose, say, Boise and then the bowl game against a good team, P5 team? Still a great season, isn't it? Bowl game? Yeah, yeah, that's still a great season. I mean – I mean, it's not an all-timer. No, right? I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I could get over. I, I would obviously ease, more easily get over just a loss in a good bowl game. But to the point you made earlier, but I, I think it's still, it's still a fun season. This has yeah. been a ton of fun so far. And is Mason Wake ever going to stop trying to hurt people? The answer is clearly no. No, confirmed. He's never, he's never going to stop. I mean, Can't stop, either won't the, stop. yeah, either the coaches aren't telling him to or. They are, and he's ignoring them, and they've decided to just let him, let Mason be Mason. Sometimes, and sometimes then, Manny, Manny's got a Manny. That's right. Um, and then he has one of the longest hashtags ever. Hashtag, did you know Zach Wilson drove eight hours to California to work with John Beck? Great hashtag. That one Great is hashtag. catching on. Yeah. Uh, Dave Broderick on Facebook had the book. I'm finding it really difficult to deal with the emotional roller coaster. That is fandom. Going back to your comments, Matt, from being there in person. Any tips on how to regain my sports fortitude? Hashtag pass the Pepto. Um, I have no tips for this. I'm terrible at this. Oh, I have tips so. for this. Okay. What are your tips? Go Why haven't and you shared them with me? Go find... Go look back on some schedules and decide what were, the, for you, the most memorable, most fun wins you ever watched. And go watch those games. 
go reconnect with that feeling. And I think that helps you when you're in those lows, remember like why you put up with this. Hmm. Go reconnect. Reconnect with that feeling. Get back in touch with your with your victory dance. With your feelings. All right. Okay. Thank you, Matt. That's what I very helpful. We should end the show right now. No, we're not. It's like the more you know or whatever. Yeah. Um and knowing it's half the battle, no, that was something else. All right. Tonight on a very special episode of the Rise and Shout podcast, Matt talks about <laughs> feelings. <laughs> Alex Saunders on Twitter, that's at Alex Saunders 90, says there seems to be a noticeable difference when Kalani starts getting involved and calling defensive plays. So everybody's been going crazy on Twitter because he was doing hand signals to the defense. I'm not in the fire Tuiaki camp, which, by the way, that camp got really loud. At halftime. I mean, I tweeted out that the defense had played poorly and that the scheme wasn't working. And several of the fair listeners and others who I don't believe actually listen. Jumped on the tweet and like fire Tuiaki. I was not saying to fire Tuiaki. Right. Um, But anyway, he says, but I don't think Kalani should wait until things get really bad before he gets involved. Am I reading what happened on Friday wrong? The whole defensive scheme changed. Maybe it was all Tuiaki's doing. Or maybe it was Satake taking over, but I like the idea of co-defensive coordinators. Two heads are better than one, right? Um, Matt, I have no idea if how much more involved um, Kalani Satake got in the second half. I mean, they clearly changed the scheme, but I don't know who made the call, and I haven't seen a credible report that makes it me say that he t- totally took over in the second <laughs> half. You don't you don't make that the adjustment that was made at halftime is not something that's made on the fly. The adjustment the 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 adjustments that they made at halftime are things that you had to have worked at least all week on in practice against that particular offense specifically. Right. To make to make the change where we were playing a pretty soft zone, kind of a don't let anything get behind you. Ben don't break type of feel in the secondary. And then we came out in the second half and started playing man. Now in the first half, that, it made sense to me. I said, well, we clearly believe that these receivers are faster than we are. And it looked like it was probably true. And when we adjusted in the second half to man, I turned to somebody sitting next to me. It was probably my son, Maxwell. And I said, Hey, I said, we're, we're going to try and go at these guys in man. And I, I think it might be a bad idea, right? Cause they had a couple of guys get loose Completed a couple passes out in the flat on some out routes and stuff. And I thought, oh, geez, that guy's breaking his route, breaking off his route and getting open. We're going to struggle if we try and play these guys in man. And I, I turned out to be wrong. But you don't you don't make that transition mid-game without having spent some serious time on that during the week in practice. Like They were ready to make the switch to that if they needed to as part of their preparation for the week. So I, I don't know that you can just say, oh, like at halftime, Kalani took over – and like retooled the whole defense, you know, and, and decided that, that we needed the four man rush and started bringing guys off of the edge. And that changed some of the pressure situation. You, you, now that we had seen a little bit, you know, and that, but still you have to prep for that as part of that particular opponent. So Do I, you I though for that opponent, I mean, I maybe agree with the you. Four man rush, the four man rush, maybe, but when you're looking at, uh, at, at defending a passing game like that, like what they were running, yeah, but it's, you've got to be comfortable with what principles. are the routes that are going to come at you. Uh, but I think you've got it. They're making decisions yeah. about who's doing what. 
like I just I I just don't believe you walk in there at halftime and draw some lines in the dirt and say we're going to cover the man now. I think I, you do. They gave up 300 yards in the first half and didn't change anything the entire first half. If it was that easy, they would have made the change in the first half. I'm just saying I think it's more complicated than that, and I think it took preparation during yeah. the week to be ready to do it. Maybe. You you might be right. I just – I don't know who made the change. I just don't understand why the change didn't happen midway through the second quarter when you're clearly the, – the zone is getting destroyed, right? I, I, I don't mind zone defenses. I don't mind bringing three. The problem with the bringing three, though, is eventually somebody's going to get open, right? If they can protect the quarterback against the three-man rush – Someone gets open, man or zone, right? Um, unless you got all your DBs or, or Deion Sanders or something, right? Or you got Tommy. Or well, yeah, yeah, but that's a different scenario, right? Like right. that means you're getting pressure, um, and we didn't have that. So you know, but I, you know, the the fire Tuiaki camp comes out, and I just don't. The defense was not good last year, and it was the better part of the. Defense, the better part of this team since Satake took over, and a couple times a pretty decent unit. So, I mean, I just struggle with the fire Tuiaki stuff in the middle of a game, guys. Like, let's chill out a little bit, even if you don't like. And and the other part is you don't have to like the style of defense. I don't like the style of defense. I like an attacking defense, but I'm fine with it if if it wins, right? If you win the game, like against USC last year, I was fine. But you also had Tonga putting a guy in roller skates and and running him into the quarterback, right? And we definitely did not have that. But then you got pressure. You had Udo coming off the edge as a cornerback blitz. It was yep. it was great. It was great. Well, and this isn't like we had a situation a few years ago where it was pretty clear that a defensive coach needed to be fired in the middle of a game. And yeah. That, that I don't see that. We're not even close to that with Tuiaki. We're not even close to that neighborhood. No, no. Um, Zach Franklin on Facebook asked, should we make man-to-man defense a permanent switch this year, except situational, except situational changes or scenarios? All right. So I'm a believer. Call me the Belichick school of coaching. Okay. I believe you don't have one system that you do all the time. I believe you want to mix up zone and man-to-man principles on defense so that the offense cannot prepare and know exactly what you're going to run. So my answer to that question is no. I think you should mix it up. And that's my biggest problem with Tuiaki sometimes is that he doesn't mix things up very well. Um, But no, I would not go to pure man-to-man for the rest of the year I think you mix it up, and I think you throw a zone, especially against some of the inexperienced quarterbacks we're going to play. It's great when you mix things up, and especially if you can disguise it before the snap and he's not sure what he's throwing into, right? Or even if the best scenario is when he's sure but he's wrong. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think both on offense and defense, um, your game plan should be specific to the team that you're playing. And But what is encouraged about what we, what's encouraging to me about what we saw last weekend is we saw them demonstrate the ability to play man. We've had other times in the, the, so far this year where the zone was more successful. 
Um, these guys were able to put together exactly what you need to do against his own, so we switched. And that so that gives uh, that gives offenses some pause when they start putting together their their game plan. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, Gary Payne, that at FastBreakGP on Twitter says, I seriously thought the only Texas State was the Armadillos from back in the 90s. Paul Blake was a pretty good QB. Uh, Matt, I did not get the reference at first, but you did. Oh, I got it right away. Necessary roughness. Come on, Dallas. Let's get it up. All right. We used to say at my high school football team, we used to say that all the time. All right. So thoughts on mid-game coaching adjustments so far. We talked a little bit about that and play calls at Houston, best or worst. I mean, the worst call was the uh, was the fullback quick to wake, right? Right. Yes. On the fourth down. Everybody the in the line. stadium knew what you was you were about to do. Yeah, that, that one. That call's work. closely followed, in my opinion, by the decision. Well, I guess it's the same decision. Kick the field goal. No, but that's that's yeah. I guess I mean that's not a play call though. That's a strategy decision. I feel like those are different. Yeah. Um, but the best play call. Um, oh, I mean it's it's also wake right. It's the shovel pass. No. The Chiefs play. No. The best no. play calls the onside kick. That was pretty good. That, that was pretty awesome. But, and and Hans Olsen broke this down in some film he put out on Twitter, and a lot of people have looked at this, and they and they talked to Coach Lamb about it on the after further review or one of the coaches shows this week. Um, that was a that was a plan that was hatched by watching film of the way those guys were defending kickoffs, and they and they were doing it in in the game, and we saw the opening. Um, so the, now as that was unfolding right now, had I not been staring at my phone, um, I can tell you that as that's okay, the TV missed it too. As the ball was up in the air, traveling that 10 yards forward, um, I would not have been a fan of the call, but it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a little bit more difficult to criticize it when it worked. But when you look at the tape, the call makes absolute sense. Like those guys were leaving their spots up front very, very early. They were giving you seven to ten yards of room to catch that ball. Well, I mean, he wouldn't—he didn't even have a—he he didn't no, even have to worry about anybody hitting him. Anywhere near him. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. it's—I—I I just feel like that's—that's that's smart special teams football. Yeah, um, yeah it was—it was great. And, if I can back up though, Gary's question: Texas State in the 90s was this the school we're actually playing not the armadillos um was ut san marcos they changed their name oh i didn't so, even know that yeah so they haven't always been called texas state i don't know when they changed their name my guess is that the movie used texas state because there wasn't a school actually called that and they didn't have to worry about any copyright stuff and so i so at some that's the anyway texas state used to be called ut san marcos they changed the name Nice little tidbit there. Um, Nicholas Nelson on Facebook. I believe that's Dr. Nick. Uh, well, it's well, it's hard to be sure given all the weirdness and the soft schedule. This team looks dramatically better than previous Sataki teams. But why? We're not more experienced than in past years. Recruiting hasn't really improved. And the coaching staff hasn't changed. That's not actually true, right? I mean, it's true for the last two years, but it's not true for the first three years, right? There's been some changes, but okay. So for the last couple of years, 
Could this simply be that having a top-level QB makes everyone better? Does it make me think the defense, um, Dr. Nick? Is this the Grimes fence finally clicking? Does Sataki finally have the D-line to make his defense work, or is it just luck? Are we not actually as good as we look? There's a lot to unpack here. Um, I'll start by saying this. We are super impatient as fans, right? We want, when a new coach is hired, them to have immediate success. When a new coordinator is hired, we want them to be immediately great. There are lots of examples, both in BYU history and other colleges, where it took a few years for things to click. And I think that's what's happened with Grimes' offense. I do think that having a quarterback playing at an elite level will make a lot of other things uh, disappear, right? Um, when when your guy's completing 70-some-odd percent of his passes. But the plays have to be designed, and you also have to have receivers that are beating the defensive backs for that to happen, right? Like, that doesn't happen just because the quarterback's good. Well, and you look at like, you know, he had lost what we thought was his very best target. Yeah, I, I with Bushman gone. I mean, I thought, you know, yeah, we had faith in Milne and and Romney to be decent, but they've both been way better than decent. And obviously Wilson is a part of that. But I mean, Milne is beating guys off the line. That was not true a couple of years ago. Well, you look at Mill now versus when Mill Mill first showed up in Provo. He doesn't even look like the same guy. No. And um, he's running routes a ton better than he did, and he is athletically. I mean, he's a walk-on for heaven's sakes, right? Yeah, but he's. I mean, he has put in some work. I mean, he's clearly put in a bunch of work in the weight room. To your point, he's put a bunch of work in on the field, like so that he can run good routes. Um, I, I mean, that guy. That guy has really put the time in to develop. I mean, if you had told me a couple of years ago that we were going to have this great offensive season and the three wide receivers that that basically are the only ones that play, uh, that's not entirely true. But if you look at the targets, it's really three wide receivers, right? Romney, uh, Milne, and Powell, right? If you had told me those were the three guys, because they were around a couple of years ago, and you had told me to predict a Milne would have been at the bottom and he's probably at the top. I mean, it's him or Romney, but, uh, you know, we're splitting hairs on that one. Um, oh, dude, I, that I pass, would not have imagined that. That opening touchdown was, I mean, he was, he was covered. That ball was thrown into coverage. Right. And he jumped up and took it away. Yeah. And then ran it the rest of the way to the house. Yeah. Oh, it's a great, it was a great I mean, play. And, the last touchdown to him is not as good of a catch, right? But it's a fantastic route, right? I mean, he does the little move, gets a yard of space, not a lot of space, and gives Wilson a window to throw it into. Touchdown, right? Both of his touchdowns showed off what we're talking about, right? The increased athleticism as well as and strength as well as the better route running. Yeah, uh, it's great. Uh, fantastic for him. Uh, and the D line part. I mean, 
part of this, I mean, everything statistically is going to look better because of who we've played, right, versus the schedule we would have played. But I don't think we we have not put up numbers like this against bad opponents since Satake took over. So something is different. Are we as good as we look? Probably not. But are we, uh, is this just, well, gosh, any of these teams? I'm telling you what, those offenses from a few years ago, pre-Grimes, they aren't putting up points like this, even against this schedule. No the 20, way. The 2017 offense? No way. No. Because they had those chances against terrible teams, and they couldn't move the ball against F- mediocre or worse FB, uh, FCS teams. Right. So, I, no, I don't think this is a mirage. And Houston's a pretty good team. They're not a great team, but they're a pretty good one. They're the best team we've played this year. Yeah, and if They may Dana turn out Holgerson, to be the best team we play all year. I mean, Dana Holgerson is both a great coach and a terrible coach. Can you be both? Because I think he is. Oh, he was so salty about there, there being uh, Big 12 refs at this game. Uh, give me a break. Give me a break. Your guy headbutts a guy. Your guy spits at a guy, right? Like, give me a break with the refs. The refs weren't good. I, I'm not arguing that, but they weren't they they weren't favoring BYU, right? Like they were inconsistent as all get out. But um, yeah, the officiating wasn't great. No, the officiating it wasn't a good game for officials. They seemed constantly confused. Yeah, a lot of like waving. Uh, why did we throw this flag again? And re- then the review that took forever like i think we're still waiting for the guy to come out from under the flap yeah, yeah he's still he's still there all right and they still got it wrong like i it's, just it's, it's still messed it up yeah, yeah yeah it's still messed it up uh justin whiting that's eight at jay and whiting says can you please tell all the byu fans on twitter to stop talking about utah i see just as many byu fans trash talking utah we are killing it this year who cares about utah just enjoy the ride hashtag soapbox bag um, Matt, this is going to come no surprise to you. I feel the same way as Justin. I'm really getting tired of people, quote, tweeting Utah fans and telling them that we're relevant. Why the freak do I care what some 22-year-old University of Utah student thinks about BYU? I don't care. Please stop or, filling my timeline with it. Or, quote, tweeting Utah fans and saying things like, man, why are they so obsessed with us? Just leave them alone. Yeah, Who I, cares? I, I don't care. And here's the thing. You and I have talked about this many times. Moving out of Utah just eliminates all of this stuff, except for on Twitter, you just revert back to it. But, you know, I just don't care. I don't care that they're not playing. I felt bad for Whittingham and his staff that they didn't get to play, just like I felt bad for every other team in the Pac-12 when I thought they weren't going to get to play. Right. That stunk. I didn't take any pleasure in it. Uh, maybe that Larry Scott was going to end up getting fired over all this, maybe. But I didn't take any pleasure in it. I don't, you know, um, but just stop with the interacting with their ter- with the the terrible of their fan base. Right. And they have good fans and bad fans, right? Yeah. And so do we, as anybody can learn by just going on Twitter. Some of the BYU fan infighting on Twitter Saturday night was just mind boggling to me. Guys, our team is winning. Our team's winning. We have a quarterback 
who is just is putting up ridiculous video game numbers, has put himself in a national conversation. Um, this should just be fun. Like, what are we fighting just, about? I didn't. Yeah, I, I, don't, don't, I don't understand what we're fighting about. Like, and, I, and, and maybe it's because I have not so carefully curated my 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 Twitter feed because I I really don't feel like I thought about it much. But I don't get a lot of that into my feed directly. I have to go find it. Like, somebody will make a joke about so and so did this to so and so, and I got like if I really want to take the time, I have to go find it to understand what happened. And so like, and I didn't on some of these, but um. It's, but on one of them I did because somebody said something that I was like, oh, that's really – that's a funny joke. How did that get generated? But um, I just – I don't get it. Like everybody just calm down. Like our team is having a historic <laughs> season. It's We're a historic season. Just watch yeah. the games and have fun. Give each yeah. other five. Hug a stranger. Like, if somebody gets upset and says fire Tuiaki in the game, you don't need to go after that person who said fire Tuiaki. Is what they said – over the top by themselves. Maybe, maybe it is over the top. But how many of us have said those things? I try not to tweet them anymore, right? But how many of us have said those things? Now, do they really believe it or not? I don't know. But the other thing is, just don't tweet it at Homo about firing Tuiaki. Okay. Oh my gosh. Do we just we in the middle of the game again? Or ever? Like, just don't. Ever. Guys, if that, if you have never happen. If you have the desire to say something negative about BYU football and put Tom Holman in the tweet, the answer is don't do it. Ever. You take, There's you take no reason. Abraham Lincoln's advice. Write the tweet. Keep it in draft. This is exactly what Abraham Lincoln did with his Twitter account. <laughs> Write the tweet. Keep it in draft and then delete it the next day. It's yeah. not put it in the drawer and think about it. It's throw it away. Yes, because delete it the next day. It's a dumb take. You don't need to do it. Yep. All right. Torin Forsberg on Facebook has this to say. Oh. Has 2020 – what's that? I was just going to one thing. Did you see Tom's response to one of the people who tweeted at him about firing oh, two yeah, yeah. after the game? He just wrote, go, go Cougs. Cougs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the man. Love him. Yeah, I just, just don't under- – yeah, anyway. All right. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Whatever. Good job. Right. Good job, Tom. Torin Forsberg on Facebook said, has 2020 so far made you rethink – our scheduling philosophy. Is it really the best course to schedule as many tough P5 opponents as possible? Or would we be better to play a mostly G5 schedule with two to three P5s sprinkled in? And this is something that Jerem Jordan has been talking about for years. And this season seems to be proving his point. And it seems like he's out there defending it every day against actually some of you who listen to the podcast, I think. Uh, Matt, has this changed your view 2020 on how we should schedule going forward, which by the way, homo can't do much about till like 2026, by the way, because most of the schedules are already set. Well, and therein lies the whole problem, right? So I, I do on some level espouse the philosophy of play the best teams that you can. The problem is putting together a balanced schedule like is described in this scenario is very hard to do. And I think that, like, I think there are teams, there are top teams that absolutely won't play us. And there are middle-of-the-road teams that also are not going to play us. All for the same reason. They can't risk losing a game to us. And so I, I think putting together a schedule like that is a lot more complicated than people realize. Well, the, the other part is that makes this difficult is we scheduled Minnesota several years ago. 
at the time, Minnesota, yes, they're a P5 team, but they would have been a very winnable game when we scheduled it. And had we played them this year, that was a likely loss. Maybe maybe I'm, I would rethink that based on the performance this year, but that was a likely loss. But when it was scheduled, you were thinking that's a game you have a better than 50-50 shot of winning. Yeah, you're about to beat a P5 team on the road. Yeah, yeah, right. And other times we've had like Michigan State where we got them on the road, which should have been a marquee game, and they weren't any good that year. So so the problem, too, is scheduling. When you put these schedules together, you have no idea, right? Yeah, if you if they were to get a series, a home-and-home home with Alabama or Clemson in the next five years, chances are they're going to be pretty darn good. But neither of those teams are ever going to agree to play us. I don't know. I, not likely, yes. Um, but back in the day, Miami did it. Florida State did it multiple times. I mean, y- you could see it. But the point is, you can't – you just don't know what the schedule's going to look like. Now, should you reduce the number of P5s and add more G5s? To your point, maybe that's not possible. But the more likely thing is it's maybe not practical, right? Because why do we have all these Pac-12 games on the schedule? Because they need someone. And they uh, and financially it's a good deal for them, right? That's why we have these Pac-12 games on the schedule. It's because they've got all these out-of-conference rivalries that they have to play, and they need somebody – to play a Pac-12 team on the weeks of those things, right? So, yes, you could maybe reduce, but I just don't think it's as easy as, to your point, I just don't think it's as easy as people think it is. But I think if you played an easier schedule, you're going to get more wins. I mean, that's not rocket science, right? Uh, I think think that plays out pretty well in reality, right? Like, you look at Utah's experience in the Mountain West versus their experience in the Pac-12. You look at our experience in the Mountain West versus some of these schedules we've had that are pretty heavy P5 wise. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's a ton of examples of this. But uh, but a season like this, okay, of winning and winning big, uh, I think the problem we're gonna have is because we're not in a conference, is that it's hard to sell on the recruiting that hey, you get to play all these guys, but you know, you play all these P5 teams, but we're kind of 500 versus we win a lot of games, right? Boise State's recruiting classes got a lot better when they started winning games. And most of those wins were against not great teams, right? People want to um, win. People want to win. All right. So email, because we are way far into this podcast, aren't we? Yes, we are. All right. Let's keep moving. So many good questions this week. Brian Stevenson via email had a question for us. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He's first time he's uh, giving us a tweetback question. So welcome to the tweetback. He says he's usually behind on listing. He's behind on listing. I mean, I I don't know if this show's good enough to listen on time. I don't know if it's, is it good enough to listen a couple weeks behind? I don't know. I, we don't get behind on recording. No, we don't. We don't. Um, So he wanted to talk about the Mountain West and Larry Scott and the Pac-12 and stuff. He said um, he said the Mountain West for Thompson, for example, he goes through this whole thing about how there was a chance 
that some of the Big 12 schools might have been in play when Texas and Oklahoma were flirting with the Pac-12. And that you might have been able to swoop in right then and create a P5 conference with the PAC, with the Big 12 folks that were annoyed at Texas and Oklahoma and leave Texas and Oklahoma high and dry. Now, I don't know if this actually happened. And again, this would be a conference. He lays it out as Kansas State, Kansas, Baylor, Missouri, Colorado, uh, and then take the top of the Mountain West and slam them together. Right. Um, yeah, like a little like a football conference sandwich. Yeah. Football conference sandwich. Yeah, something like that. Um, I look at that and I say, I think there were a lot of things very likely. Um, and, and he says, you know, imagine a conference today. If you had TCU, Utah, BYU, San Diego State, Missouri, Kansas State, Baylor, Colorado, Boise State, and say Utah State. And imagine that in basketball as well. Uh, and maybe at a, a few other teams or maybe it's slightly different teams there um yeah that'd be cool but um, you know i bet you there were a bunch of scenarios that that were handed around and some that were pretty darn close to happening 10 years ago yeah and, i mean the world was really fluid uh yeah, during that stretch fluid. of time and nobody really knew what was going on um yeah. you know so did somebody float this at some of these at some of these schools i i think that if you kind of go back in time and think about that, the context of that, I, I think you would have been hard pressed to get schools like Missouri, Kansas State, Kansas, and Baylor to roll those dice. As much as they may hate being under the thumb of Texas, um, making making a preemptive strike there, I feel like is probably unlikely because they so, they may they may hate them, but they need them. So uh, this is going to be seem like a big time shot at the old Mountain West schools. And it is. I think that the Big 12 schools publicly say th some of these things and their fans hate Texas and Oklahoma, right? In the end, though, I think all the administration has consistently understood the universities, what the Mountain West schools never, many of them could never get to, is that and then maybe they're getting it to it now, right? Because uh, Boise has preferential treatment in the current TV contract. They just couldn't get past that in the Mountain West. And BYU might still be part of that uh, if the schools had been willing to make the concessions to do that. And instead, they saw that as arrogance on BYU's part when it wasn't arrogance, right? It's not arrogance on Texas' part or Oklahoma's part. They have bigger fan bases. They have longer traditions, right? Um, they're not, you know, Texas Tech and Texas aren't on equal footing, right, in the state of Texas, right, or historically. Right. So, you know, people hate that, but I think the Big 12 schools, to your point, were like, I I don't like that they flirted with the Pac-12. I don't like that they may leave us in the future, you know, just, but I need them, and I don't have a better option. And that option that, that – uh, that he describes here is not a terrible option, but it's not a better option than sticking with Texas and Oklahoma. Because, and you're not going to – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the Big East imploded. The American Conference remains. They didn't become a P5. I don't know if this is a P5 conference. 
I don't know if the other conferences, if Texas and Oklahoma had gone to the Pac-12, I, I think it's a P4. They just don't. They don't make this conference a, uh, a power conference. I, there's no guarantee that it becomes a power conference. Yeah, I think you're right. There's no rule that there needs to be five of them. No, no. And, there used to be six. And those schools are only going to make the choice to join something like that after Texas has made their move out. Yeah. It's yeah, not I, it's not even not on the it's not even in the realm of yeah. possible choices for them until that happens. Preemptive. All right. Keith Smith sent us an email. Hey, did you guys order your Day of the Dead Cougar skull shirts? I saw them on the social media those, machines. I feel like I just saw those today. Did those just come out today? Uh, I think it's been a couple of days. I feel like I saw them a day or two ago. All right. But it's recent, I think. I think it's well, they're recent. already on sale. They're already on sale. I'm not I, I'm not getting one. Um, what effect will the recent Cougar stocking video have on merchandise sales? He links this to the parody one where it's a, a <laughs> different kind of Cougar. Um, but all I can say is this. The guy in the Cougar video, I don't think he knew what was actually happening. Because no, he was... If all cougars stalk you, you don't see them, right? Like if they're actually hunting you, he she was just trying to scare him away from his cubs. Also, you know, just a just a tidbit, wildlife tidbit. If you see cougar cubs, quickly go the other direction. Don't get out your phone and take a video. Cougar cubs will be there will be a mama nearby. Not very far. Just just saying, you know, just a little little advice. Um, he said, should the football team consider integrating some cougar aggression type exercises into their pregame warmups? I think this would instill fear into the other team if our players were out there growling and clawing like the cougar from the video. Um, Keith, you've had some good ideas before. That's not one of them. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I thought you would think. So. I'm all in. All right. Why Mountain today is our midseason awards. Matt. So let's talk about some midseason awards. Preston Paris wants us to talk about our star running back. He says, just how good is Tyler Algier? It's hard to notice how good a running back is when the QB is number three on CBS Sports Heisman Watch. Nice job. Nice place with there, uh, Preston. Is he as good as Jamal Williams? I'm starting to think he is. Matt, what's your take on Tyler Algier? I think Tyler Algier is very good. Um, do I think he's as good as Jamal Williams? Like Jamal Williams, 3,900 yards in his career at BYU, Jamal Williams? No, no, I don't think he is. Now, do I think he's, I don't know. I, I just kind of look at other, other, uh, other running backs here that we've seen. Do I think he's a good do I think he's a, a good uh, – I might put him in like a Jamal Willis range. Do I think he's somebody who could, you know, depending on what his schedule what his schedule looked like, could rush for 1,000 yards a season for three years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he is better than I thought he would be, and he's played very, very well. I don't think we've seen enough yet to put him in Jamal's camp, but the fact that we're even saying it without laughing – just shows how well he's played, right? Uh, six, uh, more than six and a half yards per carry, right? Um, 
you know, he has looked really, really good. And he's run through some guys and also shown some speed, right? Which is maybe the comparison with Jamal because Jamal could do both of those things. Outrun a guy, but he also could run over a guy. Um, I, I, As we've said before, I'm just super impressed with him and Katoa both. I, they played way better than I thought they would. Um, you know, and, and I thought they would be solid. But they've both been significantly better than solid. Uh, you know, and and Katoa also has the fact that, you know, he he well, both of them actually both have about the same number of catches, but they they both can can be part of the passing game, too. Right. So I, I think it's great. They're doing great. Uh, so but I'm going to guess that T- Tyler Algier is not your offensive uh, player of the first half. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and confirm that he is not. Uh, spoiler alert, it's Zach Wilson. I thought you were going to say Mason Wake. He's in the discussion, but it's definitely Zach Wilson. Uh, it's definitely Zach Wilson. Uh, would you make any honorable mentions? Algiers probably an honorable mention, right? Uh, Algiers is an honorable mention. And Milne um, and Romney? Yeah, that's probably fair. Um... And then, quite frankly, though, if you're going to really make the list, the offensive linemen, you got to put – if you were making like a top five, you got to put at least two offensive linemen on that list. Oh, geez. So you're dropping off one of those receivers. I think so. I mean, that offensive line has played at an elite level to this point. I just don't know. I mean, uh, the receiving stats are flashier, but you don't get those receiving stats without the protection. That's true. And even in the the rushing game, I mean, they looked – I mean, let's wind the clock back to the Navy game. I mean, just dominant across – to a man across the line. Well, and here's the thing. I don't – the problem with picking two offensive linemen is they've had some injuries, and I would put Impey on there, but he hasn't played in the last couple games or played some and then got hurt again, um, that I don't know which one should pick, Barrington. Probably. Um, but MP, who's, I think, playing the best of the offensive linemen through the first few games of the season, is, you know, has, has missed some time. And I, I, Toku Afu has to, to have somebody come in and do that, who was a tight end, you know, several months ago, is pretty amazing. You know, and I, he's not as good as MP, at least not yet. At least not yet. Uh, defensive player of the year. So far, uh, Tyler Batty. Batty, huh? Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be Batty for me. I've got to go with Wilgar as my defensive player of the year so far. Is it crazy that neither of us are saying Tonga? Um, no, I don't think it's crazy though. Tonga has played very, very well. Um, Tonga, I'm having the same problem I've had with Tonga that I had last year. Is he seems to just disappear sometimes, and, and it may just be he's getting doubled. Um, a lot, and and we should give him credit on those plays when he's doubled because it frees somebody up like Batty or Wilgar to go make a play, right? Right. Um, but I think Wilgar has played at a very high level. He doesn't have the stats, um, but man, he's been he's been there and made some some really big plays. And I think teams stay away from Confuci, Of course, have also um, had a great year so far, and. You don't hear his name very often, and that's a good sign. Is Wilcox? 
we got to see him a little bit one on one. He's he's having a good year. Yeah, Wilcox. Somebody, some some. I think it was another player uh, in a tweet referred to him as an NFL defensive back. I mean, uh, he made looked, some great plays on. He, yeah, on he, and he looked pretty good in man. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm excited about George Udo. Uh, Udo. He had. I, I mean, he should have had two. He should have had uh, another sack on on Friday night. Um, he got. Uh, I, I mean, what what they teach as a pass rusher is what when when you see the guy stop and he's going to make a move. Pass rushers are taught go right through his hips. Right. Do mm-hmm. not stop. Right. Don't stop because once you lose your momentum, now he has the advantage. Now that first one, he stopped. You'll notice on the second one when he was chasing him down, no stopping. <laughs> he got him. It was pretty. It's pretty cool. So I mean, you look at that group and you say, there's a lot of Troy Werner's had a good season. Zane Anderson's had a good year. You mentioned Batty with his four sacks uh, and five and a half tackles for loss. Um, Daw. I mean, how can yeah, we're talking about the this? We haven't even that's the next guy on my list after yeah. Patty is Daw. Yeah, you know, Daw, 18 tackles, so five and a half in the backfield, two sacks. And then last week was just he was disruptive in the second half to a very high degree. So really awesome. I mean, I, I you know, last year when we did this, there wasn't as much to talk about, honestly. Um, no, just defensively, we're all they're playing well all over the place. All over the place. Uh, Randy Whittle on Facebook had this question. Who's your biggest surprise and biggest disappointment on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball so far this year? So let's stick with the offense here, Matt. Who's your biggest surprise? Who's somebody that is, you know, contributing at a level that you just did not see coming? Um, Yeah, this is going to sound weird. But if I go back to the way we talked about this at the beginning of the season, I think I have to answer that question by saying Tyler Algier. Yeah, that's a a good answer. If I remember correctly, I was on record as saying that Katoa was going to be the man. Is that not what I said? Uh, no, you said Algier. I said Katoa. Okay, but I, I, but I don't know that I was expecting this. No, no, I don't think any of us were expecting, um, were expecting this. Uh, I mean, no, I don't think any of us were expecting this. Um, I would say, from my perspective, Algier's a great answer. I'm just going to give a different one because. It'll be more fun, you know, if we talk about somebody else. But I'm going to say the um, – where's the folder there? Uh, I'm going to say, for me, the biggest surprise is going to be Zach Wilson. I did not – we talked about this in the preseason, that we thought that Hall and Romney and Wilson were not that far off from each other. I don't believe that's true anymore. Do, would, would, are you comfortable saying that anymore? That you can no. just kind of plug and play with any three of them? It would not be the same. I, I just I look at that and I say, wow, we were wrong. But if that's a too obvious an answer, then I'm going to go with with um, with Romney in some ways because it's not. This is the guy that I thought he would be, but I had kind of given up on that after the first couple of years. That. You know, call it injuries, call it whatever, that we just needed to lower the expectations for him. And now we don't. (laughs) Right? Now we don't. Um, All right. What about defense? Who's your biggest surprise? 
I, I hate to be really repetitive here, but I'm going to go back to Tyler Batty. When we talked at the beginning of the season about the defense and the defensive line, I, I think I labeled Zach Daw as kind of like, this is my dark horse guy that could make some noise and, and, and challenge for leading the team in sacks. I might have even predicted he would lead the team in sacks, but I don't think ever I ever uttered the name Tyler Batty when we were talking about how this defensive line would look coming yeah. into the season. So yeah, for me, that one. that's the surprise. Yeah, that's that's a great one. Uh, I'm going to say I, I'm going to agree with you. Batty's probably probably it. Um, I think uh, Peely might be another one because we didn't talk about him before. He's doing a great job, too. Um, oh, yeah. Leading so. the team in tackles from the place where you would want somebody leading and leading the team in tackles. You, you know, he's. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that's a that's a that you could yeah. make a great case for that. Yeah, you could make a case for him. So, um, let's see, play of the year. From a fun perspective, it's the shovel passed away. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's just it was executed so well by everyone on the field. Right by by Wilson with the you know very casual nature to it by Wake turning and being in the right spot, by the offensive line all going out like that play's going in a different direction and taking the most of the defense with them. That one was that was was fun, probably a little bit of recency bias there, but Yeah, I I I feel like I'm stuck in the same thing. Um Am I am, am I putting too much on the onside's kick? If yes. I put that here just for momentum in that game, that was such no, a big deal. You can deal. pick what well, you that can was pick whatever such you want. a big deal. But you know what was probably even a bigger deal in that game? And, and this is all recency bias was that going over the top. Uh, the decision to, to take a shot on the first play from scrimmage in the Houston game. I, that I'd was say, a great play. Yeah. And, that, play. And, that, and that set a tone, right? We knew this was going to be the toughest team that we, were, we, we had played all year, and we came out swinging. Yeah. Yeah. Some great plays. There's been so many great plays. I mean, I think of some of the defensive stands against Navy at the beginning of that first mm-hmm. game of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, a game I predicted we would lose. And then the offense, the defense just dominated. I mean, obviously, the offense had a great game, too. But I thought the offense would be able to make make plays in that game. I just thought Navy's going to rush the ball for nearly 300 yards. Right. Uh, lots of great plays. Uh, reviewing our predictions, Matt. So we're halfway through the year. Um, our first prediction was Wilson, 2,500 yards passing. Um, we both took the over on that. I I feel pretty good about it. He's at 1641 through five games. Yeah, assuming we we've play. got two more. We got two more weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got two more weeks. Yeah, we're gonna be over that. So I think we're both good there. Uh, Wilson, 20. Uh, touchdowns and we did not say throwing or um, we were, I think we we're going to say combined, right? And he said 18. So uh, I, we both said under, no, no, we said passing. It was passing touchdowns. Okay. So 20, we'll see. I mean, he could still, I mean, he should beat that, but he might end up with 19, right? Just tell, no, he won't. He'll end up. That's not 20. happening. He's going to break 20. Yeah, he's going to break 20. Uh, 480 yards of offense per game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. They're at 541. 
right? And we haven't even played yet the worst uh, team we're going to play. It's just silly. It's just silly. Yeah, I know. Uh, Yards per carry, 4.75 in the rushing game. Uh, I had over, you had under. Not looking good for you, buddy. We're right on. We're right on, but I'm going to lose this. Yeah, you're probably going to lose this. Um, Leading receiver, we both had Romney. I think at this point it's safe to say it's going to be, it's likely barring injury to be Milne, right? I don't know. I feel like that one could go either way. When we said leading receiver, leading receiver, did we? Is that by yards? That's by catches. Oh yeah, we're in trouble there. He's okay, 20, that's stacked. He's twenty catches. Uh, not twenty catches. He's, he's uh, twelve he's, catches oh. ahead of Romney. Yeah. Uh, we both had Katoa as the leading rusher. You're right. I thought you had Algier, but we both had Katoa. It's going to be Algier barring an injury. Isaac Rasks, forty and a half catches. Um, I have the over, you have the under on, on, on Isaac Red. He's at seven. So I, I, I think. I feel uh, like I'm going to be safe on that one. I think, I think you're safe. Any running back over 750 yards, we both said no. Uh, Algier, of course, is on, on target to eclipse that. Heck, there's, there's a, a non-zero chance scenario that we have two. Yep. I don't think we will, but. Um, it could happen. Uh, tackles. I had Wilgar. You had Kafusi. Uh, Kafusi is tied for the team lead in tackles, so you're looking pretty good. Wilgar is 12 off the pace, so uh, probably you've got a better chance on that one. Most interceptions. I had Ayu. Of course, that's not going to be the case. You had Wilgar. Wilgar's got uh, none, right? Yep. Where are the where are the interceptions? Just Who had Troy Warner down. in that pool? Did you have Troy Warner? I didn't. Neither of us had Troy Warner. Yeah. I had IU. Yeah. So we don't have a lot of interceptions so far this year. Uh, and then Sachs leader, I had Tonga. You had Daw. How you feeling about those predictions? I feel like Daw could is still in the mix, and so is Tonga, to be honest with you. They're both, yeah, I mean, they're both still in the mix. I think it ends up being Batty, though. Uh, Daw has spent a, a lot of time in the backfield. Daw has. Daw could totally do it. So anyway, those are our predictions. Well, Matt, we're going to finish with a little game here uh, over under on the Texas State game. Okay. All right. Uh, did I miss a tweet bag question? I feel like I missed a tweet bag question. Uh, if you're about to do the tweet bag question that leads into this over under oh, game, you have there it is. There it is. All right. Jens Litton, that's at Jens Litton on Twitter, says, if I were a betting man, and he's not, he says, would I really expect BYU to cover the spread wearing Navy uniforms again after the 35-point spread debacle two weeks ago? And then he does a winking emoji on that, Matt. Um, are you a believer in the in any type of uniform jinx here? No. Me either. Um, do you think they will cover the 30-point spread against Texas State? So I'm seeing the spread at 28 and a half now. Yeah, it's 28 and a half now. And do you know why it's at 28 and a half now? Because 35 point spreads are ridiculous. Like you would, in very rare cases, should you take a 35 point spread? I know this isn't a gambling show, um, but I'm just gonna throw that out there. Maybe a we 20- should have a gambling 
podcast. Um, well, I think I think Greeny does one for ESPN now. He does a gambling show. But yeah. a 35 point spread, guys, like that's tough. And I don't know statistically how often that happens and what type of matchups you would want on that. But I don't know that we see a matchup on BYU's schedule where I would tell you to go ahead and take the take the spread at 35 points on any of these games. Okay, so you're um, taking it at 28 and a half. I'm not taking it at 28 and a half. I'm not either. Uh, and and Kalani's shown the tendency not to push it in the end zone in the last couple minutes of the fourth quarter, right? Right. So I, I would say I'm not going to take it at BYU to cover the 28 and a half, but I think there's a chance they do. Uh, that's why that line works is that if they really explode in the first half, you may get there before um, before Satake makes any changes. Right. You could be up 42 to seven at halftime and then win the game 49 to 14. Right. Right. That's that's 35. Right. I did the math right. So, but I'm with you. I wouldn't take that. Uh, what about over under 400 yards passing for Zach Wilson? Taking the over. I'm going to take the under, but just slightly. Uh, 200 and 120 yards receiving for Dax Milne over under. Over. I'm going to take the under on that. I bet, I think he's going to spread it. I think Dax is going to get some double teams. Um, though that changes depending on Romney's health, right? Um, 150 yards rushing for Tyler Algier. I am over taking the under. I'm going to take the over. I think this is a rushing game. I think we destroy their defensive front. Uh, over under four and a half sacks for the BYU defense. <sighs> I struggled with this one, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to say under. I'm going to take the over. I think they get to 5. That's a great line. Four and Thank a half you. is a great line. Thank you. I spent some time on these. The 400 was not I didn't spend much time on that. That was just a fun number, right? Um but the 120 yards for Mel, 150 for Algier and the four and a half sacks, I think those are the right I think you'd get good action on those lines. Though maybe you might say the Milne one is too high because that's a lot of yards for a receiver, right? And that's highly variable game to game. Algier is going to get, a, assuming he's healthy, is going to get a bunch of touches early. And all he needs is a couple big runs to get there, right? All right, Matt. So I think we're both predicting Texas State to upset BYU. That's not that's, what I said. That's not the way that I see it. No. I Is it – we're both saying it's not – four plus touchdowns but is it three and a half touchdowns i mean it's 21 points at least right at 21 yeah I, yeah if I, I set I, the line at 21 and a half are you taking the over yes are you taking byu i actually i actually think 28 and a half is a good line because you think it's close yes but you're still taking texas state at 28 and a half uh yep yeah, I am too. So final score prediction? Final score prediction I have is I'm right on here on the spread and the over-under. I've got BYU winning this game at a score of 45 to 17. I have it 41 to 17. So you'll see that I am right under the spread and right over the over-under. Hmm. Look at you go, buddy. 
All right. Uh, here's a gambling tip for everybody. Not that any of you gamble. Don't bet on your favorite teams. And don't ever take tips from us on betting on BYU. Ever. Never. Never. And by the way, I'm way better at prop bets than I am at the final score stuff. You know, I don't know why. But when I have paid attention to such things in the Super Bowl, I always do way better on the prop bets than I do on the spread and the over-under. Anyway. All right. Well, this is That's it. Another awesome week. We play Texas State this week. And then what do we who do we play the week after that? Let's go, Delos. Let's get it on. No, but after Texas State, who do we play? Oh, sorry. I would I got Kentucky. I got the carried away. On Halloween. Yeah, how are you gonna handle that on Halloween night when it's the game starts at like the middle of prime uh trick or treating? Are you guys trick or treating this year? Middle of prime trick or treating? What are you talking about? The Western Kentucky game. Yeah, what time does this game kick off? 9.15 my time? Not this one. No, that, that. Western Kentucky. The next week. I got 8.15 your time. I oh, thought it was 8.15. Yeah, this week it's it's 9.15. The week after that, I think it's 8.15, right? Uh, this this it, My schedule right here on ESPN is showing is the same kickoff time as the Texas State game. Either oh, way, Maybe I'm, not wor- I'm not worried about it. I'm watching the game. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't say you weren't watching the game. That's not what I said. I know. I know you'll be watching the game. When it Do comes you even to take trick or treats in my house? It's like stand out on the sidewalk and I'm gonna throw candy at you. Yeah, I know. It's gonna be weird. Totally weird this year. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, downloading and listening. Um, if you haven't already, go to what's that thing called? Patreon.com/slash Rise and Shout. You can support the podcast. Uh, Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, and we'll catch you next time. Go Cougars!